We've just published the book, The Adventures of Lola Badiola. It's the perfect complement for this podcast. It includes complete transcripts, explanations, and quizzes. So buy it now on Amazon. Hello and welcome back to The Adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last episode, a meeting was arranged between Park J. Bong and the beautiful, mysterious girl with the almond eyes. In this episode, we're going to find out what happened next. The Adventures of Lola Badiola Chapter 18 The Apartment Park arrived back at his apartment at 7.30. He took off his shoes and went to the toilet. He lived in a modern apartment on the 22nd floor of a tower block in Zone 7 of the Chunghua district. As a D-grade government employee, he had certain privileges over the general public. He had a separate kitchen with a small fridge freezer and an oven with two electric hobs. He didn't own any luxuries like a microwave, a dishwasher or a washing machine, but he did have a television, which was the envy of all of his neighbours. Unlike most North Korean people, Park knew that he was poor. He knew that the standard of living in the North was significantly lower than in the South. He knew that the infrastructure of his country remained backward, and most of his countrymen still worked in hard, time-consuming jobs in the agricultural sector. Park also knew that the economies of many other East Asian nations had progressed dramatically over the last 30 years as a result of globalization. They had successfully worked together through institutions such as the United Nations and the World Trade Organization to promote international cooperation. The supreme leader was convinced that these institutions would eventually collapse in the aftermath of a Marxist revolution. Park wasn't so sure. South Korea was now much richer than North Korea. It had higher levels of technology and productivity. The people seemed happier. They seemed to have more fun. Park wondered what his life would be like if he had been born 150 kilometres south, the distance between the communist haven of Pyongyang and the capitalist centre of Seoul. Park looked at the analogue clock on his wall. It was 7.45pm. Chunghua Park was a 15-minute walk from his apartment. Who was the girl with the almond eyes? Why had she invited him to meet her? Was she a member of the secret police? It was quite normal for the government to spy on its own employees. There was even a department that spied on the spies of the employees. Or was it possible that this invitation was genuine? That this mesmerizing woman actually wanted to go on a date with him? Of the two possibilities, Park was more worried about the latter. He was almost thirty years old and still a virgin. He walked into the bathroom, combed his hair, and then opened the bottle of Dragon Aftershave, his prized possession, a gift from Kim after one of his business trips to China. 
he carefully placed a drop of the liquid on his index finger, then spread it across the left side of his neck. He repeated the action for the right side of his neck. He didn't want to waste a drop. The liquid was more valuable to him than plutonium was to the supreme leader. He stepped back from the mirror and imagined himself with his arm around the girl with the almond eyes. Whether she was a spy, or a potential girlfriend, or both, he was determined to find out. He left his apartment and headed onto the street. It was a dark winter's night, but fortunately the streetlights were working that evening. He walked along the clean and orderly streets of the Chunghua district until he reached the main road. Then he hailed a bicycle cab and jumped into the back of the carriage. Pyongyang was a city for the elite. It was considered a paradise by the peasants who scraped a living from the unproductive lands in the countryside. Park felt thankful to the supreme leader that he had been invited to live there. The road to Chunghua Park was full of traffic. There was a mix of diesel buses, horse-drawn carts and Chinese motor cars. The government vehicles had black number plates, the foreign residents had red number plates, and the very rare privately owned cars, perhaps gifts to sportsmen or actors, had yellow number plates. However, most of the citizens of Pyongyang walked or caught the bus. It was one of the privileges of being a D-grade government employee that Park could flash his identification and hail a bicycle cab. As he sat in the back of the carriage, he wondered who the mysterious girl was, what her father did, and why her family lived in Pyongyang. At exactly 7.59pm, Park arrived at his destination. He got out of the cab and stood beneath a huge poster of the Supreme Leader. He looked around the surrounding area for his date, trying to appear relaxed but feeling deeply insecure. Walking towards him were two people, a middle-aged lady in her mid-fifties, short and slightly bent, with grey hair and pale skin. Next to her was a tall and slim young woman with a beautiful round face and almond-shaped eyes. His date and her chaperone had arrived. I think Park J. Bong is feeling a little bit nervous. What do you think? Okay, let's start off today with some vocabulary. In the last episode, we reviewed different types of houses. For example, cottages, bungalows, and penthouses. This week, we're going to go inside these houses and into the kitchen to review some of the most important vocabulary. Have a listen to these sentences again. He had a separate kitchen with a small fridge freezer and an oven with two electric hobs. He didn't own any luxuries like a microwave, a dishwasher or a washing machine, but he did have a television, which was the envy of all of his neighbours. Did you understand all that vocabulary? Let me give you a little test. You have two seconds to respond to each of these questions. Here we go. Where do you put your ice cream? The freezer.
What do you fry your eggs on? The hob. That is the hot plate or the burner that you have on your cooker. The hob, H-O-B. Okay, question number three. Where do you wash your plates and cutlery? The dishwasher. Question number four. Where do you wash and dry your clothes? The washing machine. Sometimes it's a washing machine and dryer. Okay, finally, for our film lovers, there is a scene in a classic 80s science fiction film called Gremlins, where the mother is under attack in her kitchen from these little monsters. She throws one of them into an electric machine, switches it on, and the gremlin explodes inside this machine. What machine am I talking about? It is, of course, the microwave. Or the microwave oven. Okay, how did you do? Were you familiar with those five words? I'm sure you were. So let's move on to some economic concepts. Have a listen to this again. Unlike most North Korean people, Park knew that he was poor. He knew that the standard of living in the North was significantly lower than in the South. The standard of living. If your company wants to relocate you to work in another country, it's important that you know the standard of living in this country and how it compares to your home country. The standard of living not the standard of life. The standard of living includes things like wealth levels, comfort, goods, and the necessities that are available to people. And according to a survey by World Population Review, the countries with the highest standard of living are the following. Switzerland, Denmark, the Netherlands, Finland, and Australia. Now, I think there is a crucial point here that this measure includes both income and the cost of living. You see, there are certain countries where the salaries are high, but so too is the cost of living. And therefore, people cannot buy very much with the money they make. So we need to ask ourselves, how well does the average person with the average salary live? For example, does the average person in the UK live better or worse than the average person in Spain? Is the standard of living higher in the UK or lower? Well, I used to live in London, where I worked as an investment banker. Yeah, baby. And I had a good salary. However, the cost of living in London was so high. And that includes things like housing, private education, food, drinks, etc. So we didn't live particularly well. Our standard of living was good, but it wasn't great. Then we moved to Madrid, where I now work as a business English teacher and I earn significantly less money. However, 
the cost of living here in Madrid is much lower than what it was in London. And therefore, I can afford to do more things. So we travel more, we eat out more. I can afford to send my three daughters to private school. So my standard of living in Madrid is higher than it was in London, even though my salary is lower. And this experience is actually reflected in the data, because according to the table produced by the World Population Review, Spain is 18th in the world, and the UK is 23rd in the world in terms of standard of living. So that's very interesting. The data confirms that it was a good idea for us to move from the UK to Spain. Okay, let's have a look at our next economic concept. Have a listen to this sentence again. Park also knew that the economies of many other East Asian nations had progressed dramatically over the last 30 years as a result of globalization. Globalization. Repeat, globalization. Make sure you pronounce that correctly. This is the process by which the world is becoming increasingly interconnected as a result of massively increased trade and cultural exchange. Now, it's been taking place for hundreds of years, but it has sped up enormously over the last half century. And the key point here is globalization has both economic and cultural consequences, and the impacts can be both positive and negative. How has globalization affected your personal and professional life? Okay, our final economic concepts. Here we go. Park wondered what his life would be like if he had been born 150 kilometers south, the distance between the communist haven of Pyongyang and the capitalist center of Seoul. What is communism? What is capitalism? Go on. Explain capitalism. It's a pretty important concept. We should be able to put it into words, right? Okay, for me, the key question is, who controls the economic system? Who decides what is produced? Who decides what crops should be planted, what clothes should be designed, what cars should be manufactured? Well, in a communist economic system, it's very simple. The government, through a central planning authority, commands its workers to produce what they think is needed. There is no market, no prices, no profits, no competition. Workers are simply told or commanded what to produce by a higher authority. And then the consumers just receive what is produced. This was the case in the Soviet Union, and it is still the case in North Korea. Okay, so who controls the system in a capitalist economy? It's not the king. It's not the government. It's not a central planning authority. So who is it? Well, it's you. You control the system. 
You, the consumer. You decide what is produced. If you, the consumer, want more carrots, then you buy carrots in the market, causing the prices to rise. This sends a signal to farmers to produce more carrots and thus satisfy the rising demand. If you, the consumer, don't want bananas, the price in the market falls, signaling to producers to plant fewer banana trees. So, in a communist system, the government decides what is produced. In a capitalist system, you, the consumer, decide. That is the fundamental economic difference between the two systems. There are many other differences between the two systems, which we're not going to discuss today, but I will say the following one system does not work, and the other one does, although imperfectly. Okay, let's change gear now and analyze some random vocabulary. Have a listen to this again. He walked into the bathroom, combed his hair, and then opened the bottle of Dragon Aftershave, his prized possession, a gift from Kim after one of his business trips to China. He carefully placed a drop of the liquid on his index finger, then spread it across the left side of his neck. Do you know that each digit on your hand has a specific name? Let's go through them one by one. Let's start off with the most obvious one. The thumb. Be careful with the pronunciation here. It is a silent B at the end of this word. Thumb. What is the name of the finger next to the thumb? The one that you use when you're pointing at something. Well, this is called the index finger. What is next to the index finger? The one that you might raise when you are very angry with someone. It is, of course, the middle finger. Makes sense, right? And what is next to the middle finger? Well, this is known as the ring finger for obvious reasons. So traditionally, this is where a bride and groom will put their engagement and their wedding rings. And finally, last but not least, well, actually, in this case, last and least, the smallest finger on the hand is known as the little finger, or more affectionately, it is sometimes called the pinky, P-I-N-K-Y. That's an old Scottish term for small. Okay, let's move on from vocabulary to some interesting grammar. Have a listen to this again. He left his apartment and headed onto the street. It was a dark winter's night, but fortunately the streetlights were working that evening. Why does the narrator say dark winter's night rather than dark winter night? Well, this is a peculiar thing about the Saxon genitive. Normally, we use the Saxon genitive to refer to something that belongs to someone. This is Sam's podcast, instead of this is the podcast of Sam. Well, we can also use the Saxon genitive for expressions of time. 
Instead of saying the meeting of yesterday, we would say yesterday's meeting. Instead of saying the annual report of last year, we would say last year's annual report. There is a very famous Shakespeare play called Midsummer Night's Dream. It's not called the dream of Midsummer Night. And so in our story, we have a dark winter's night, using the Saxon genitive, instead of the night of a dark winter. Okay, one final word, which I think you might find interesting. Have a listen to the final paragraph of the chapter again. Walking towards him were two people, a middle-aged lady in her mid-fifties, short and slightly bent, with grey hair and pale skin. Next to her was a tall and slim young woman with a beautiful round face and almond-shaped eyes. His date and her chaperone had arrived. The specific definition of a chaperone is a woman accompanying and guiding a younger, unmarried lady in public. So it's completely appropriate for this situation. And it has been used since the 18th century. And this is a word of French origin. Chaperon, meaning protector. Now, there are lots of cool French words in the English language. And that's because after the Norman conquest of 1066 by William the Conqueror of Normandy, French was the official language of England for almost 300 years. The nobility used French, and the lower classes, the peasants, used English. Therefore, the French words that we use in the English language now continue to be associated with the elite, with intellectual and artistic activities. And in fact, we're going to talk more about this in our next episode. So on that note, we come to the end of today's session. And remember, if you would like to improve your English in a more formal way, you can join me in our online business English classes. Just search Club Grattan on Google and you will find us. And we hope that you can join us for our next session. Until then, keep practicing. And if you ever find a gremlin in your kitchen, put it in your microwave. <laughs>